Never knew that Japanese sounded so good, did you? <laughs> Thank you both so much. This morning we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, 31 through uh, 52. I'm going to ask if you would join us in our tradition of standing when we hear the word of God read. read. Um, this is a, a last of the stories of the infant stories that we have in the Bible concerning Jesus. We've been going through the month of January after Christmas using these stories to help us understand why Christ came and what purpose he had in coming. And so Luke records for us this story. And you say, well, where did he get it from? Well, he, he probably got it from Mary, Jesus' mother. Because you'll see in the last lines exactly what Mary does when this story happened. I invite you now to hear God's word. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him along with their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him, Jesus, was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Can't you just hear her Jewish tone? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Every time uh, February comes uh, looming around the corner after Christmas, I, I always get a little um, antsy, an I get a little anxious because uh, shows, or I should say television uh, companies are notorious for beginning to prepare for Easter by, by having programs that basically um, try to expose that maybe Christianity and our faith in Christ is fraudulent or misplaced, or that somehow our faith in Jesus is not worthy of intelligent thought. Now, one such program was produced by the uh, Public Broadcasting System. You know it as PBS. Uh, it is a, a broadcast system that basically endeavors to put things before you to enrich your mind and your heart and your culture. And one particular year they produced with the help of learned men and women who teach in seminaries and colleges around the nation in the departments of religion. Uh, the, the special they put together was called 
When Jesus Became Christ. Don't you like that title? When Jesus Became Christ. And it really did sound intelligent. When was that point where Jesus became who we know him to be? When was it? There were some early in their church, uh, church's life that had to battle the heresy that was being taught that Jesus became filled with God at his baptism when John the Baptist baptized him. That before that, Jesus was just a normal human being. But then to explain how God became flesh, this, this false teaching that competed with the Christian faith in the early years of, of the preaching of the gospel, uh, tried to paint that, that God could not be flesh at the same time unless something happened, and that was that God had to enter time and space in the baptism. But that's not what we believe, and it's not what the scriptures teach. You see, the scriptures teach that God became incarnate in the, through the birth of a child in the Virgin Mary. And we discussed already in the first parts of this series how in the church you will find people who have a hard time believing that Jesus was born of a virgin. How could this happen? And, and the miracle of that moment is, is really insignificant when you think of what Christ did when he was raised from the dead. He had been dead in the grave for three days and God raised him from the dead. So belief in the virgin birth is no huge attempt of, of a faith and a jump of faith for me. But you're finding more and more in the teaching that's happening in our culture in a way to discredit Christian faith and your belief in it that somehow you're not intelligent in believing that Jesus is the God-man as we read this morning in our, our uh, question and answers in the confession. You know, if Jesus was not who he said he was, if he was not who the scriptures portray him to be, then we cannot be justified before God. There is no one who can take our sins from us because the Bible says it's laudable that a man would die for another but what man can bear another man's sins and offer that person to be right with God just because of their death for them when they would have to die for their own sins that's what the Bible says the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is what eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ and so we come to this story where you and I begin to look at why in the world would Luke include these. And I believe part of the reason that God in his infinite sovereignty chose to allow this story to remain in the scriptures is for this one reason, that you would understand completely what we believe to be not only factual and true, but worthy of your faith today. That Jesus Christ is worthy of putting your complete faith that your trust and your belief in him has given you the opportunity to be forgiven of your sins, to be cleansed of your past, to give you a new spirit, a new life, and a new relationship with God you could never have in any other way. Let me go through the story with you. It's really quite powerful because as Luke records it, there's so much meat here. Um, as I was working through this, I thought, well, gosh, maybe they'll let me preach two hours this morning. <laughs> and, and then I thought, no, we just had Presbytery. Half of them are going to be asleep by the time I get through it. 
so I, I really want to just try to really give you some important highlights of what really is happening here so you can appreciate how this story really speaks to who Jesus Christ is and why we can believe in him. First, please notice that it says there were, there were three festivals. What are we, three festivals? Well, what is that important about? You go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, um, let me put my glasses back around. Deuteronomy 16, 16, and you will find that God had directed the children of Israel after he brought them out of Egypt that there were to be three festivals that they were to keep forever. And those three festivals were the Passover, the Passover and unleavened bread, which were kind of grouped together. The Passover was a meal at night, and then for seven days after that was the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I'll explain more of that in just a minute. Then there was Pentecost. Well, what was Pentecost? Well, it was that national festival that happened 50 days after, 50 days or seven full weeks after Passover. So basically, Passover would be toward the first of the year, and then Pentecost would be the time of harvest, the time where people would have crops in the fields and it was time to go and harvest the crops and bring them in to the storehouse. And it was on that Pentecost festival in Jerusalem that God allowed Peter to preach the first sermon in Acts. Remember when the Holy Spirit came down upon them and then then people in Jerusalem heard all this commotion and thought these disciples were drunk. And Peter says, we're not drunk. We want to tell you what happened. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised him from the dead and made him both Lord and Christ. And so Pentecost was fulfilled that Sunday and the church receiving 3,000 people into its church. What would we do as a church if 3,000 people suddenly rushed in here and said, I want to believe in Jesus? What would we do? Cheer, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure we would be cheering because the next question would be, how do we disciple them? That would be the next question, wouldn't it? How do we help them grow in their relationship with Christ? The third, the third festival that was uh, that was uh, observed that God had commanded was the feast of or the feast of tabernacles, and that was a time where basically the Jews gathered on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, which they called Tishri. It was about mid October. And, and for five days after the Day of Atonement where the priest would enter the holiest of holies one day out of the entire year to give an offering of sacrifice for sins for all of the people, that Day of Atonement, there would be after that day of celebration of that sacrifice that God is a God who forgives sins, that they would celebrate for a week by living in handmade tents or, or basically huts to remember how God had delivered them from Egypt and brought them into the promised land. It was literally a pilgrim festival. Have any of y'all ever been camping? You know what that's like to be in a tent and live outside? Isn't that fun? Yeah. Could you do it for seven days? Um, if you really want to get to know somebody, take them camping for seven days. You'll get to know them in ways you don't want to know them. Yeah. yeah. Most of all, hygiene would probably be the biggest challenge, wouldn't it? Well, interestingly enough, this celebration was not like that. It was even more pronounced. It was a time where everyone would build these temporary shelters, and they would gather remembering that we are the people of God because God's grace has called us out from slavery and given us this promised land. Isn't that beautiful? 
So those three festivals were important. Why was this festival being held? Well, it was the Feast of Passover when the story is given to us in Luke. Passover was that time, you'll remember, back in Exodus 12, where they were celebrating uh, celebrating what God had done in delivering them from Egypt. And so it was to be celebrated, according to Exodus 12, 6, during the full moon. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been out at night during a full moon, but it's glorious, isn't it? It's a time where you really begin to see the illumination of, of the lights at night of the, of the moon. It was usually in the first month of the year, usually the spring, and it, its month was called Nisan. It was, it was at such an important time of year that God had designated that that month where they celebrated peace, uh, Passover was the beginning of their year. That was the first month of their year. So imagine uh, January 1st, how, whatever you do on January 1st, the evening before January, uh, the start of the new year, that's what that meant to them, that Passover was that kind of, of issue in their lives for festivity. It was usually the 10th day of that month that a year male or lamb or a year, old, a year old lamb or kid without defect was to be selected and according to the size of the household. And the reason for that was that the lamb was taken and sacrificed at twilight. And, and it was sacrificed in such a way that the lamb's bones were never broken. And, and the blood of that lamb was to be taken and painted on the lentils and doorposts lentils and doorposts of the door. Remember why? Remember why in Egypt? What happened? God had brought judgment upon Egypt for refusing to obey him, and he told them that the firstborn of every family would die except those who would, by faith, paint their doorpost with the blood of that lamb. Isn't that beautiful? Now, don't lose that image because it's so important in understanding this story. That lamb and that sacrifice was so important that that was done every year by the Jews. Every year, the festival of Passover was observed. And not only that, if you go back, you'll read how when that occurred, they would eat nasty food. Why? Because they were to be prepared to run to God the moment their slavery was ended. They were to have a staff ready to go so they could quickly move. Their tunics, which they were like a dress, they were to be tied around their waist so that the moment that God was going to tell them you could leave Egypt, they would leave with haste. They were going to eat bitter herbs, and the bread they were going to eat was not, le was not leavened. It didn't have yeast in it. it wasn't, there wasn't time for it to rise because when God told them to go, they were to obey and so they couldn't let the bread rise, so they had to eat bread that was unleavened. And that's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread was about. It's really quite amazing that that's still around today. Of course, I, I've tried to bake some bread, and I tried to make it with yeast, but I promise you it tasted more like unleavened bread than yeast bread. It's not the best bread around, y'all. It's not. But that was the meal that they were to have. Why? Because it was a remembrance of what God did in delivering them from sin. The moment, the moment God was going to call them out, they were to obey, rise, and follow the Lord, follow the Lord away from the slavery of Egypt. But as the time went on, as the temple was built, as the people lived in the land and prospered, they still continued to worship and 
and observe the Passover. But they would take the lamb to the temple. And can you imagine every family in Morrisville going to the temple with a lamb that they have held like a pet in their home for 10 days? The kids would hug on it and love it, and they might even name it. And on the 10th day, they would take that lamb to the temple, and with the priest, they would go in, and the father would slit the throat of the lamb, and they would catch a blood in the basin. And then they would skin that lamb, and the father would take it in its skin back home on the back of his shoulder, and they would roast it for the meal for Passover. But they were to make sure no bone was broken, not one bone. And the blood, the blood was used to sprinkle on the altar in remembrance that God had told them that I will make an atonement for your sins. I will make an arrangement where one who will come will bear your sin and your shame and I will forgive you of your sins. It's at that festival that Jesus and his parents faithfully continued to go to every year. Every year they went to that temple and they offered that spotless lamb in anticipation of the one who would come to bear their sins. And there was Jesus. The one thing I didn't tell you about Passover is as the development of Passover continued in the festivities of those people, as they entered the land and they built Jerusalem and the temple and they observed the Passover every year, it became a time also when the child in the family who reached the age of 12 would begin to prepare to cross over from being a child under the responsibility of his parents would then become responsible for himself before God. He would have to take on, no longer counting on his mom and his dad to take him to the temple, or his mom and his dad to read the scriptures to him, or his mom and his dad to wake him up and tell him it's time to go to, to worship. It was at that age, at the age of 12, the child was preparing for that time where he would stand before God and make the decision, do I believe this or not? I was watching a special a while back about the Amish in our country who, who have a similar kind of, of, uh, of ritual. They raise their children among them in this tight community that forsakes all the worldly pleasures in the name of righteousness and serving God. They have children that are raised among them, and then somewhere along that age of 14, 15, 16, they tell their children, you may leave the community for a year. You go out into this world, and you experience the world the way it is, but at the end of that year, when you come back, you have to decide whether you're going to adopt the way we live or you're going to be exiled from the community for your life. Did you know that? Where did they get that idea? From this 
You see, there really is a truth, my friends, that you and I labor to raise our children in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We labor to teach them, but there is a point where they must decide for themselves whether they will obey the Lord or not. And many of you are hurting right now because your children have said to themselves, well, what is the big deal about Jesus? And they look like they've walked away. Please do not give up hope because Christ is much bigger than the circumstances that they are facing. But let me tell you, there is a real truth. We have what we call confirmation in our own church. What do we do? We lead children to that place where they can make their own profession of faith in Christ. There are children right here. There's one right there who has gone through confirmation and said, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think, okay, well, that was, that's done. No, that's the beginning of training these young adults in how to become followers of Christ. It's at that moment that they need instruction, not from their parents, from you as believers. And the most amazing thing is at that moment we come to the story where the festivities are over and Mary and Joseph have obviously gathered with all their other relatives and they're heading back home and they they've traveled in such a way that the men usually led the caravan and the women and children followed so Joseph may have been separated from Mary they thought that that maybe the other person had Jesus with them haven't you ever done that uh, there was a movie famous called Home Alone. What happened there? They left a child there at, at their house while they went off someplace to celebrate Christmas in a whole other city. Have you ever lost a child? Have you? Well, you can imagine Mary and Joseph as they come that night to camp on the way home and they go, where's Jesus? They've already traveled one day, 15 miles from Jerusalem, and they're thinking, Oh, my goodness, he's gone. I'm sure they slept well that night. No, the Bible says that they got up immediately the next morning, traveled back, which is another day's journey, back to Jerusalem. And then on that third day, they found him. Where did they find him? He was at the temple court. Now, that leads to the question, what was Jesus doing? Ah, boy, I remember my mother saying stuff like that. What in God's name were you thinking? You ever heard that? Or, do you have a brain? Have you lost your mind? Well, I don't know if the tenor of what Mary is saying to Jesus is that caustic, but she obviously is not understanding what is really happening here. In fact, Luke, rec Luke records for us that when Jesus gave an answer as to what he was doing, Mary and Joseph kind of just looked dumbfounded. Why? Well, notice what he says. Why are you looking for me? Wouldn't you know where I am? <laughs> now, let me ask you, if you lost a child in Walmart and you come to them and say, where have you been? Well, you knew I would be in the sports section. <laughs> would you? It's amazing, isn't it? What was Jesus doing? 
Well, he had remained in Jerusalem. Why? Because this was a defining moment in his life as he was entering that age of accountability. He was, as the Bible says, growing in the knowledge and the fear of God. He was human, but he was also filled with incredible curiosity and knowledge of God. It wasn't that he was teaching the teachers. That is a misrepresentation of this story. It was that Jesus had grown up in his family, had heard the stories of God's great work, had resonated with that purpose that God would send a Savior, and it was at that point that Jesus was beginning to realize that he was the one that God had sent. And he wanted his parents and his, his family to know this is why he came. Some people get upset when they hear that Jesus had to blow his nose. Some people get upset when they hear that Jesus had to go to the bathroom. We just don't have images of that, do we? But the Bible says he was human in every way like us, but without sin. And here's the point of the story. Galatians tells us that Jesus was born under the law to fulfill the law. And this is exactly what he did, even as a child. He obeyed God perfectly. He was the only one who attained that place of being able to offer himself as a sacrifice because he has become the pure, spotless lamb that all these families took every year to Passover to offer in sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus was that lamb. And he kept the law perfectly. When he says to his mother and father, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house. What was he saying? Joseph was right there. Well, as you look at the scriptures, it really speaks to the fact that Jesus was very much aware where he had come from and who was his father in heaven. And so in saying that, there were two things that Jesus was declaring. He was declaring first that he was I embracing the fact that he was now accountable for his own actions and what he was going to do was not because his mother and father told him to do it or because he was raised in a tradition that talked about a lamb of God that was going to sacrifice himself. Jesus was declaring, I am the lamb of God. And his ministry would begin in such a way that he would reaffirm that truth over and over and over again. And then secondly, he was making a clear declaration that his place, his purpose, his existence from that point on was to do the Father's will. Do you know the only time in Scripture where I think 
that there was a point where Jesus wrestled with that was in the garden before he went to be crucified. You remember what it said? He, he prayed, Father, if this cup can pass from me, but not my will, thy will be done. And then he went to the cross. Why does Luke include this story for you and what significance does it have for you today? That when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you came to the very source of the salvation that God has promised for thousands of years. That today you as a Christian have taken hold of promises that Abraham and Moses and Noah and Adam and Eve were given that you, by God's grace, have been justified before God, not because of some work you have accomplished, but because what God has accomplished for you in sending this child into the world who grew into manhood, who never sinned, went to the cross and died for our sins and was able to do so because he was sinless. And because of that, death could not hold him and therefore God raised him from the dead. And he's been resurrected and lives forevermore. He is at the right hand of God the Father right now. He knows every temptation you face. He knows every struggle you have. He knows every challenge you have. He is the God who can provide for you everything you need to live faithfully for him today. And this is what the gospel is all about. You see, when we talk about the gospel in our day, people know they're broken. They know it. They know they're broken so, so well that they don't have to go very far to confess that. And the most amazing thing is when you think of their life, you think about the fact that, that God had intended to create a creation that was pure and right. That when he created us, he created us in such a way that we were supposed to be happy and holy, but we weren't. We became sinful and miserable and broken. And the reason that happened was because of our decisions to turn away from God and not know him. We call that sin. And that sin is what has separated us from what God intended for our life. And the most amazing thing is that God did not leave this world left in this broken condition. He didn't leave you in the broken condition. He sent Christ into the world. Don't you love these little drawings? Can you see them? He sent Christ into the world to come and bear our sins on the cross. On the third day, he raised him from the dead so that now for the first time in the history of humanity, you and I can actually know God and have the life that God intended for us to have. But we can never get it ourselves. We have to come through Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Do you know what this is called? The three circles in sharing the gospel. We're going to be talking more about that this year. Because this is the good news that people need to hear. And this is why Luke has written this passage for you this morning. Because my friends, regardless of the doubts or the fears that you have, regardless of the uncertainties of your life, in placing your faith in Jesus Christ, you have come to the very source 
the very source of life that God offers. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and our Father, as we come into your presence, we ask simply and humbly that you would open our eyes to the truth of our need of Christ. There are some here who still think in their own hearts and minds that they're good people. And they try to be good. And they try to do good things. But in their hearts, they know. They know that they are not as good as they pretend to be. It's that truth that drives us to that message of the gospel that God in Christ loves us. And so as we begin this new year and as we prepare and head toward that season of Easter, Lord, as we hear people deny Jesus or maybe watch programs that bring into question whether Christ is enough, Lord, help us as a church to take hold of this gospel message and proclaim it unashamedly for all who would hear. Because in Christ, you took action to save a world that is broken and you are still at work today. And for that reason, we thank you for this story. And we pray, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, make me hungry for the gospel that I might proclaim the glories, that I might sing the praises of our God, that I might sing hallelujah, what a savior. And for that reason, we pray this in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together, Amen. Amen.